The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Like double dog dare ya! Was that wrong? You ought to be ashamed yourself. How the hell is that Mike Florio's job? So what, no f***ing now? Wednesday, PFTPM, special guest today, Texas defensive end J.J. Watt. That's coming up momentarily. Before that, though, the biggest news of the day, and it's been a very newsy week. This one kind of came out of the blue. Brett Tesler, who represents 49ers running back Raheem Mostert, who had that game for the ages in the NFC Championship against the Packers. Mostert had been trying to get a new contract from the 49ers. He's due to make $2.75 million this year. Hasn't gotten what he wanted, and now he wants to be traded. This isn't necessarily the best climate for any player to be trying to finagle a trade with all the uncertainty arising from the pandemic. You'll hear a lot about that from J.J. Watt coming up in a few minutes. But the 49ers just have this revolving door that they've worked to perfection, and whoever they plug in seems to get it done. They still have Jarek McKinnon, who's been with the team for two years, trying to get to 100%. They believe that he still can be a very effective player in that offense if he's healthy. They traded Matt Breida. They've got plenty of guys. I don't think they're going to let themselves be held hostage at the running back position by one guy who wants to be paid a lot of money because they recognize, maybe unlike any other team, the value of having multiple running backs who know the system. It's about the blocking. It's about the play design. And there are a lot of guys out there. We talk about this all the time with running backs. The supply of capable running backs far outweighs the demand. And that's very instructive as it relates to the situation with Dalvin Cook in Minnesota. Same offensive philosophy, same approach. And they've got Alexander Madison who could step in if Cook decides to hold out. Mostert wants out in San Francisco. If they do trade him or if he holds out, they'll be fine with the other guys that they have. And that's just kind of the way it is. And Mostert may not like it, but The 49ers, unlike any other team, understand that running backs, I don't want to quite say they're fungible, but they're pretty close to it. As anyone with any position on offense or defense would be in an NFL system, I think the 49ers feel that way about their running backs because we've seen them get it done with a bunch of different guys. All right, we got it done with J.J. Watt earlier today. Here's an interview that I taped with him, courtesy of our friends at Gatorade, the Beat the Heat program. Here's a conversation with Texas defensive end J.J. Watt. Joining me now, three-time NFL Defensive Player of the Year and one of the cornerstone players of the Houston Texans for the last decade, he is the great J.J. Watt. And it is amazing to me. It's got to be amazing to you, J.J. Year number 10 coming up for you. How fast has that gone by? It's pretty crazy, man. Uh, it's, it's gone by fast for sure. You know, at the beginning of your career, they always tell you, uh, it flies by, it goes by in the blink of an eye. All the vets tell you all that. Uh, and you say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then you get here and you're 10 and you're like, they, everything they said is true. It goes by extremely fast. I have two brothers in the NFL now. It's, it's wild. There's some similarities, too, between year one and year 10. Year one, there was no offseason program because of the lockout this year. No offseason program because of the pandemic. 
Is there anything from nine years ago that you can use to help make this easier when you go to training camp without the benefit of the off-season program? Yeah, so when you think about the two off-seasons, obviously neither one had OTAs, neither one had workouts with the team. Um, the biggest difference by far is obviously the coronavirus situation. And what that causes is back in 2011, we could still train at gyms. We could still get together and the veterans could teach me the playbook. We could run plays. We could do all that stuff. We haven't really been able to do that this off season because of everything that's going on. So I'm fortunate. I had a situation where I have a gym. I have a field. I can do all my workouts. There are some guys who live in a one-bedroom apartment who the apartment building shut down the gym. They don't have a field to run on. So there's guys that are in different situations all throughout the league. So where in 2011, if you weren't training, it was kind of your own fault because you had access to everything. This year, it might be you're not training because you just didn't have access to it. So I think that's what we're having to deal with and trying to figure out this ramp-up period and what it's going to take you guys ready for the regular season is we got to first assess what everybody's been able to do and where their body's at because it's much different for every guy. And, J.J., that's a great point, too, because in 2011, injuries were up 25%, even with the ability to work out in gyms and work out in groups and work out on fields. This year, there's a greater risk of even higher injury rates if there isn't that break-in period that, that gets guys to where they would have been if they'd had the opportunity to work out. Right, and I think that's the biggest concern from the player's standpoint, besides the obvious health concerns of COVID itself, uh, but the injury rate in, in figuring out where guys' bodies have been. Have they been running at full speed? Have they been cutting? Have they been making those high-impact you know, moves that you have to make to play the game of football, which is where a lot of those injuries come from. I mean, you look back to 2011 and some of those injuries, hamstring pulls, Achilles tears. Those are injuries that happen because you haven't been able to do what you need to do at that highest level. And so this year with the circumstances we're at, we just want to make sure guys aren't put in a compromised situation purely because we want to start on the set date. American sports leagues have been trying to get back onto the field, the court, the gridiron, et cetera. Your wife's league, the NWSL, Chicago Red Stars, they've been playing. What have you gleaned from her about their experience playing games in the pandemic that could maybe be useful when it's time for you to get to work? Yeah, it's been a lot. It's been interesting for me to watch because uh, she went back to training, you know, a month and a half, two months ago, whatever it was. And they, uh, she was in Chicago training and they were kind of self-quarantining themselves as they train to make sure that they can go to practice every day and get their tests and things like that. And now they're out in Utah in their own bubble. Um, and so they're basically all in one hotel. They're, they're playing all their games at a facility with no fans and the facility's clean and everything's clean. So it's been really interesting for me to watch. And it's been successful for them so far. They really haven't had any, you know, knock on wood, they haven't had any outbreaks or any cases there. Um, and I think that they've all been following it pretty well. Uh, not necessarily to the most enjoyable set of circumstances for her. I mean, she's in a hotel room for, you know, 18 hours out of the day when she's not training, um, but it is working. And so I think it's, it's kind of a give and take on, you're going to have to give up some, you know, liberties and things that you're used to and accustomed to. You're not going to be able to go out freely if you want to have a season uh, like they're having where they're in a bubble. Um, but the trade-off is you get to play. The bubble concept's been tossed around from time to time for the NFL. I just don't think it can work. There's too many teams, too many players, too many coaches, too many people. But the positive side, if there is one, would be you know where everybody is. I think one of the practical realities, J.J., for the NFL, you got a lot of young guys 
they're going to want to act like young guys, and they're going to be tempted to go out and do the things young guys do, and all it takes is one of them to bring that virus into the facility or onto a field, and the NFL has a problem. Do you have any, any plans, any strategies, any ideas for making sure at least your teammates will do what they're supposed to do, just go home after practice, stay there until it's time to come back to the facility? You know, I think that's kind of one thing that we're all looking at the NBA and the MLB to see how it goes for them. I mean, uh, we have an opportunity to, where we don't start for a little while after they do. So we're going to have an opportunity to learn. And I think, obviously, we should be taking that opportunity to look and see what works for them, what doesn't work for them. Do guys follow along with every set of the protocols? Do the teams follow along with every set of the protocol? Um, it's going to be very interesting to see. And for us, obviously, being in our own cities, there is, no matter how you slice it, no matter how hard you try to make it as safe as possible, there is going to be some level of trust factor that's going to have to come into play where you have to trust that guys are going to be doing the right thing on their free time. Um, and that's, I don't think that there's, I think it's very unrealistic to think that it's 100% safe. I don't think that's a, that's a realistic thing to think. It has to come down to how safe can you possibly get it and are you comfortable taking that risk? And that's where you have to have that option where if you're not comfortable or if you're in a compromised situation, you have to be able to have that option to not, not be there. Do you think a lot of guys are going to do that? A lot of guys, like, I, do you have a rough idea of a percentage that would surprise you uh, if, if guys say, yeah, I just can't do it this year. I'm, 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 not, I'm not going to be part of this. I don't. I really don't. I think that every guy's situation is different. You know, I know some, like, there could be a guy who has a, a child with asthma and, and he really just doesn't want to bring it back home or you have a pregnant wife. And I think that the one thing that I would say to that is there shouldn't be a stigma if you do choose to opt out. If there, if there is a legitimate reason for you to be opting out and you don't feel comfortable, whether it's for yourself, whether it's for your family, I don't personally think there should be a stigma with that because that's, you're making the best decision for yourself and for your family. And if we ever get to the point where we're shaming people for dropping out of a sport because they want to protect the health of their family, then, then we're in a tough spot. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And I have a copy of the, the protocol that's been put in place between the league and the union for training camp. And, and everything looks appropriate. Six feet apart, masks, everything's careful. Everything is very deliberate and planned out. But the more I see that, the harder it is to reconcile. At some point, everybody's got to get on a football field. You're going to be lined up right across from somebody. As Rodney Harrison told me last week, breathing and sweating and spitting and, and bleeding. And how, how do you reconcile the two? That's what we are trying to do. You know, so as players, I've been on these PA calls the last, you know, we've got calls every three days now as we get closer trying to figure all this out. And the biggest thing that we want is just answers to these questions that we have. Just like you have a question there, you know. How we want, we want answers to the same questions. There's more questions, not just that. There's other questions. And so the last thing that we want as players is for this report date to be set in stone and for us to be bumping up against this report date. And then we hastily put things together just because we want to make sure that that report date is met. I think the most important thing for us is getting everything right so that everybody feels as safe as possible, as comfortable as possible with what we're going to do whether that is on the report date, whether that's pushed back, whatever it may be. But I just don't want us to get into a situation where we bump up to this report date and we say, oh, no, now we got to figure it out. That's where you get yourself into trouble. I want to let you keep on your schedule, JJ. You're here on behalf of the Gatorade Beat the Heat program. Tell us more about that. Yeah, so like you said at the beginning of this interview, 10 years I've been in this league, and we actually started the Gatorade Beat the Heat program 10 years ago. When I, when I came down here from Wisconsin down to Houston, 
it was a climate shock for me. I mean, it's 110 degrees. There's humidity like crazy down here. So I had to learn how to beat the heat myself. Um, and one of the biggest things I learned was that if you weigh yourself before a workout, when you weigh yourself after a workout out in the heat, every, every one pound of body weight that you lose, you have to drink 20 ounces of Gatorade to replenish yourself. Um, so during training camp, I mean, you could lose six, seven, eight pounds, depending on the heat, depending on, you know, pads and everything. Uh, so it's extremely important to get that electrolytes back in your body and to replenish yourself so you're ready for the next day. And this year, more than ever, it's going to be important because of how hot it is. We're training on our own. And now there's going to be many protocols in place. So Gatorade has been good to me, and they've always helped me beat the heat. So I'm just trying to pass on the message. I saw a tweet that you had about a month ago about the possibility of the face shield inside the face mask all the way down. That does not beat the heat, does it? I, I, my, I, my uh, second year in the league, you know, I, I thought it'd be cool. I put a visor on my head. I was like, it looks so cool. I want to put a visor on. I had it on for about three periods of practice, and I said, take this sucker off. I'm going to die out here. I just, I literally, just the face one. So now you go, I put something around my mouth, and uh, you can keep that. If, that. if that comes into play, I don't think you're going to see me out there on the field. Well, hey, JJ, we wish you all the best. We hope football gets it all figured out. Hope to see you on the field this season. Look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks. I appreciate it. Have a good one. All right. Take care, pal. Thanks again to Gatorade and J.J. Watt for giving us some time today. And look, it really is becoming more and more clear as we get closer to July 28th that there is no certainty. There is no sure thing. There is no way to reconcile social distancing with playing football. And the problem is, and, and look, there's, there's nothing political about this. It shouldn't be regarded as political. It's reality. In the United States of America, we have failed to take the pandemic as seriously as other countries have, period, full stop. Premier League, playing games. Bundesliga, playing games. Why? Because the virus isn't running rampant in those countries. See, this isn't about whether or to what extent things will be safe in a facility or on a practice field or in a game site. This is about whether or not you can keep your guys from getting infected elsewhere and then bringing it to work and catching it before they infect someone else. That's now the risk. And we didn't think that was going to be the situation by the time August and September rolled around. That's what we need to be concerned about. So NFL and NFLPA trying to work it out. J.J. Watt hit the nail on the head. There should be no stigma whatsoever if guys decide to opt out. It's unclear who will or who won't. The problem is football players want to play football. And I think there will be guys who maybe should opt out and don't. And that's all right, too. Each guy's got to make his own decision about what's right for him. And the reality is for every guy that opts out, there's 5, 10, 15, 20 guys out there that will say, I'll do it. And the NFL will find a way to put enough players on the field. The challenge will be avoiding the kind of outbreaks that will shut a team down and having enough able, ready, and willing players who can step in and go. And you don't want to have your $40 million a year quarterback being protected by a left guard who was just scraped off of a couch because they're 15 guys deep on who they're trying to get to come play because everybody else has the virus. All right. We hope they get it worked out, though. We hope we have football. And when we have football, it looks like Washington's going to have a new name. And it looks like there will be no Native American imagery. Now, I don't know what that means. Does that mean that there will be a potential Native American name, but not any Native American imagery? 
I don't know. But I think at a minimum, it means in addition to the word being taken off of the bottom of the neck of the jerseys, you're going to have the logo scraped off of the side of the helmet and something new is going to be placed on there. And look, the Washington Post had a story yesterday explaining how difficult it is to change the name of a franchise, to rebrand a franchise quickly. It takes time. Trademark applications have to be filed. Things have to be done. You don't just flip a switch and change the name. But here's the problem. The problem is this name should have been changed a long time ago. And whatever hassles the franchise is going to have to deal with in changing this name on an expedited basis, that's part of the debt that you accrue by refusing to do the right thing and change the name when you should have years ago. When Dan Snyder crossed his arms like Veruca Salt and said, never, and you can put it in all caps. That's when the clock started ticking. That's when anyone paying attention to this knew, you know what, at some point they're going to have to change that name. Now, nobody could have foreseen the specific circumstance, this awakening and reckoning on racial issues that has caused everyone to be more sensitive than ever before, more thoughtful than ever before, more vocal than ever before. But regardless, when you decide to go forward with a dictionary-defined slur as the name of the team, you run the risk that the walls are going to collapse quickly and you're going to have to move faster than you ever would under normal circumstances. And to the extent that that's what Washington has to do, that's what Washington has to do. And meanwhile, to the extent that anyone wants to make a run on all of the soon-to-be obsolete Washington gear, you're not going to get it at Target. You're not going to get it at Nike. You're not going to get it at Walmart. You're not going to get it via Amazon. All of those retailers, no Washington merchandise to be found. NFL shop, Fanatics, the only place you can get it, of course, eBay. And I, I guess there's going to be a pretty robust market on eBay and Etsy and other, other sellers out there of secondhand goods. Because there will be people, I guarantee it, as sad as it is, there will be people who continue to call the team by its current name, continue to wear the gear associated with the current name. But it's a little bit harder to find that gear now than it was a week ago. And hopefully a week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks from now, at some point before they go to training camp. I mean, isn't it going to be awkward when it's so clear that they're going to change the name, that they continue to go by the name that is going to be changed, the name that is going to be changed because it's offensive to Native Americans. But what do we call? Well, just call them Washington like I've been doing for the last seven years. So Washington hopefully will have a new name. Until then, I hope everyone just refers to them as Washington. You can refer to us as PFTPM. The break from PFT Live continues. We're back July 20, the PFTPM rolling along every weekday. We'll be back again tomorrow with another edition of PFTPM. Until then, check us out around the clock at profootballtalk.com. Have a great day. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. 
Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.